0: I am going to ask you to stand one more time, and we're going to go to the Word of the Lord. I'm going to ask you to read to me from Mark chapter 16, the first eight verses. If you will boldly proclaim this important passage of Scripture, it's on the screens for you now. Now, I'm sorry, which side? All right, go ahead. And they. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his most holy and infallible word. You may be seated. There is something that's very notable to me uh, that is part of this passage that I think I should bring to your attention this morning. What we see here is the very first time that the message of the risen Savior has ever been preached. This is the beginning of preaching the gospel. In fact, the instruction from the angel to the women was, now go tell it. That's what, uh, what the angel had said to these women. So it is. I want you to note today that the very first person that God trusted with the gospel to preach it and instructed to share the gospel was a woman. I always thought that I was gonna get more response, <laughs> especially from you, but uh, I know there are people with differing opinions on that. I'm just, I'm just saying, that's the way it was. The Bible reading you do in your personal devotion time should make it clear and make it obvious to you of something the way God does something specifically. Throughout scripture, God uses angels to make special announcements. As I was thinking about that, I was reminded that Bethesda, at Bethesda, we have our own announcement angel. His name is Pastor Josh Geary. Now, I mentioned in the first service that that angel part might be a stretch, a bit of a stretch for him, and his wife is sitting next to him, nodding like this, but you know, I'll leave that to them. But it is true that God uses angels for announcements, especially certain important announcements. Uh, It happened in Genesis chapter 19. An angel brought a message of destruction to Sodom and Gomorrah. It happened in Judges chapter 16, where an angel announced the birth of Samson. In Luke chapter 1, an angel announces the birth of John the Baptist and the conception of the Lord Jesus. In Luke chapter 2, an angel announces the birth of christ so what we see is this announcing angel gabriel and a warring angel michael these are these are messengers these are ambassadors and when god is ready to make a special announcement he sends an angel The announcement given by the angel at the tomb literally is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the gospel of the resurrection. It's the good news of the the resurrection. How many of you know it is good news that Jesus got up from the grave? And the place from which the gospel is first preached is the empty tomb, which both received and gave up Jesus Christ. But here's what we know to be true. Jesus went into the tomb dead, but he came out of the tomb alive. Hallelujah, that's the gospel, that's the good news. Can you say amen to that today? Excuse me, if you are a person who's very familiar with this text that we read this morning, and I know many if not most of you are, and you've heard it preached most of your life, uh, I began to think through all the The ways that I have heard this text preached over the years and I realized that I probably heard it said that these ladies who went early in the morning to the tomb that they went with embalming spices. But if you really look at Scripture, you understand that that is not at all what the Scripture teaches. It is an assumption that is easily made by preachers and people who are preaching this passage and gospel communicators. But you see, embalming, as I've discovered, is an Egyptian tradition. But the Jews, when they went to the tomb, they went to anoint. And normally, the dead were anointed at the time of burial. But something specific happened in the timing of this. According to Mark's gospel, the lateness of the hour on the day before Sabbath, which was known as the day of preparation, the day before preparing for the Sabbath, it was late in that day and it necessitated then postponing the anointing of his body until after the Sabbath. And so it's because it's late in the evening on Friday, it is the beginning of the Sabbath. In order not to do any work on the Sabbath, as we know it was the custom and, and the order of the day, Jesus was laid in the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea with the intention of those ladies coming back the following day not to embalm, but to anoint. Now here's what I wanna draw a, a line from this part of scripture to something just a couple of chapters earlier let you see this. The anointing of the women lends, that we see here lends new significance to the earlier anointing which took place in Bethany. The women at the tomb did belatedly that which had been done by another woman prematurely. The women in our text of Mark 16 went to do belatedly what a woman in Mark 14 did prematurely. The woman in Mark 14, we know about her, she was a sinner. She went into the house where Jesus was, and she washed his feet with her tears, and she dried them with her hair, and she broke open that special box of perfume called the alabaster box to anoint the feet of Jesus. And you remember what happened when she did, which seemed like such a waste to so many of those who were observing and seeing what happened. And the Pharisees spoke up and said, we could have sold this perfume and given the money to the poor. Doesn't that sound spiritual? And doesn't that sound wonderful? But obviously it was not what pleased the Lord because Jesus said, leave her alone. What she is doing is a memorial for my burial. And everywhere the gospel is preached, be sure to mention what this woman did. She did prematurely, what the women at the tomb did belatedly, and it was, it, it was belated, but they didn't even get a chance to do it because he was already risen and already up by the time those women got there. They went to the tomb to anoint him with aloes and myrrh and spices, and there was a reason for that. Because they wanted to go into the tomb to sweeten up his decaying body. They believed he was in the tomb and that he was decaying and their funeral errand, if you will, to go into the tomb was to try to make death smell sweet. It was an act of love. It was an act of devotion. Just as the woman of Bethany in chapter 14, what she did, it was an act of love. It was an act of devotion. Like the woman at the tomb, an act of love, an act of devotion. One is too early and the other is too late, and the latter is going to the tomb to try to make death smell sweet. But guess what, folks? You can't make death smell sweet. You can't make decay smell good. It doesn't. You can't cause death to have a sweet aroma. They went to the tomb to try to make death smell good, but Jesus said, you don't need to worry about that because I am going to get rid of death forever. That's what I'm doing, hallelujah. Now Mark does what is unusual in his, uh, distinctive in his gospel account. For the third time in the gospel of Mark, He lists the proper names of these women. Uh, It was because they were there, they were present at the cross, they were present at the burial, and they were there at the empty tomb. And then he lists their proper names. Ladies, please be patient with me for just a moment. This might get a little uncomfortable, just for a second. And don't get mad at me when I remind you that in that day, in that time, in that culture, the testimony of a woman was never to be believed in Jewish tradition. I feel the love in the room already. A woman could not testify in court. Uh, you, you may recall that when a Hebrew male woke up every morning, his morning prayer went something like this. God, I thank you that I'm not a Gentile. God, I thank you that I am not a slave. And I thank you that I'm not a woman. In fact, in that culture, women were counted actually just a little higher than cattle. Now, my farm girl wife just came in to me after the, after the morning service to discuss this thing that I just mentioned, because she has great regard for cattle. She thinks that was a, that was a great thing, but she's, she, what? She loves, she loves cattle. She liked pigs too, but we'll leave that alone. But <clears throat> women could not make legal agreements. There were clear limits to what women could do. Uh, uh, the word of a woman could not be taken in Jewish tradition. So you have to then ask, why is Mark going to the intentional effort to list these ladies by name if they are not even regarded and if their testimony is not even to be believed? And I can tell you why he lists them. It's because they're the only ones who stayed. Peter's gone. Judas has already killed himself. All the men have fled in fear. The only ones who are around are the women, because women have strong faith. Can I get an amen? amen? That was a female sounding amen. I understand that, but women have a strong faith, and they know that they know that they can't do when they can't do anything about a situation. They still can try to sweeten it up. Men try to get in and fix it. Don't we do that, guys? If something comes at us, our plan is to figure out how to fix it and get on with it so we can get on to the next thing. Women look at it completely, completely different. They they know that even when they can't do anything about it, they can at least, at the very least, try to sweeten it up. He's dead, but I can try to sweeten it up. Those women are there and they are mentioned in the book of Mark because the men ran away. Mm. Was that you or was that a cow that I just heard the kid? Mark mentions their names. And what, what is it? It's Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, Salome. Those ladies refused to leave Jesus by himself. They were at the cross. They saw Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus. They saw those gentlemen take his body down. They watched them put him in the tomb. So those ladies at least, what they're thinking is, we'll, we'll, we can go to the tomb because that's where we last saw him and he has to be there. And now they arrive at the empty tomb where they dis- will discover proof of the resurrection. But I want to say to you today, the empty tomb itself is not the proof of the resurrection. The risen Christ is the proof of the resurrection. Hallelujah indeed. And understand this. The resurrection actually gives significance to the tomb for you and me. Really? What do you mean by that? The resurrection makes the tomb meaningful. Let me tell you how. Since Christ got up from that grave, that means that one day my tomb is going to be empty, just like your tomb will be empty someday. Blessed be the name of the Lord. A risen Christ who shows himself to believers is proof that he is alive. You know, folks, we wouldn't be here this morning simply lifting our hands and lifting our voice probably just over an empty tomb. But we've gathered in this place this morning because we have a testimony which sounds a whole lot like this. I serve a risen Savior. He's in the world today. I know that he is risen, whatever men may say because I see his hand of mercy and I hear his voice of cheer and just the time I need him, he's always near. He lives. I said he lives. Christ Jesus lives today. Walks with me and talks with me along life's narrow way. He lives, he lives, salvation to impart. You ask me, how do I know he lives? He lives, not because some preacher said so. He lives. Not just because some church declares it to be true. He lives within my heart. If that's true for you, say hallelujah today. I'm not what I used to be because Jesus lives within my heart. You're not who you used to be because Christ lives within your heart. Once we beheld the Lamb as the choir sang this morning and last Friday night so wonderfully well. Once you behold the Lamb, you can never Ever be the same again blessed be the Lord and you know what there's so much significance to the fact that he lives within us that means he goes with you wherever you are Do you realize what a privilege and what a blessing it is you don't leave him someplace he's there that means that you take the name of Jesus with you on your job you take the name of Jesus with you to your neighborhood you even you take him this afternoon to your family reunion you can take him there everywhere you go Jesus goes with you because when you show up he is alive within you do you know how to recognize if something is alive or not there's really only one way to recognize if something is alive if it moves if it moves and I've noticed there's a couple here in the sanctuary this morning who haven't moved yet this morning. <laughs> I was reminded uh, what Pastor Des uh, used to say. He had a, a delightful phrase when he would, he would say something when he was preaching that had obvious impact on him and it, and it seemed to kind of just slide over everybody else and he would say, sleep on beloved, sleep on beloved. <laughs> but you know what? to those who are here this morning who are not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus. Have we got any of those folks in the house today? You're not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Are there any thankful people in the house that you're thankful that you serve a God who woke you up this morning, who caused your heart to to beat today and, and put air in your lungs, that you serve a God who saved you from a burning hell. You serve a God who picked you up and turned you around and he placed your feet on solid ground. You serve a God who's dried your tears in the night. You serve a God who's rolled away your burdens, who has opened doors that were closed in your face, and you serve a God who has made a way where there is no way. To those folks, you move because Christ got up one Sunday. Where's the thankful people in this house today? There's four words that the angel preached at that tomb, and I probably can only mention a couple of them. In verse six of our Mark 16 text, it says, but he said to them, do not be alarmed, was what he said, or do not be afraid, or do not be affrighted. What the resurrection of Jesus means for the believer, as much as anything, is peace, peace, the peace of God, that I no longer have to be afraid. It is astonishing how many people live on this planet in fear, gripped by fear, paralyzed by fear. They're afraid of any and everything. They're almost afraid to get up and face the day. They're afraid of what's gonna happen when they get to work. They're afraid of what's gonna happen when they get home and face their family or their spouse. They live in fear. But the resurrection promises all of us that we can have peace, that there is no no reason to be afraid. With Christ out of the grave, I have peace. I love what Hebrews 7 tells us, that therefore he is able once and forever to save. Your version may say, may save completely or to the uttermost, but able to save those who come to God through him. He lives forever to intercede with God on their behalf. Are you thankful this morning that he is interceding on your behalf? Now, he could not do that if he was still in the grave. I'm glad we serve a risen Savior. Now, I mentioned I stopped you a while ago when you were reading the text to me that you mentioned the angel was sitting on the right side of and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to draw this, this parallel also this morning because it is interesting to me when Scripture um, seems to intentionally make a point. Especially if the point doesn't seem like it would otherwise be all that significant or all, all that important. But it is clear that Mark is, uh, in, in, in the Gospel of Mark, that he's mentioning the fact that of, of, of that Scripture And I'm sure you know that right now, at this very moment, Jesus is on what side of the Father? He's on the right side of the Father in heaven, making intercession for those of us who come to God through him. Intercession. Intercession. What does that mean for you? What does it mean that he is interceding for you, that he's seated at the right hand of the Father? It means that every time you pray... Every time you lift your voice, Jesus takes your prayer and he pleads your case before the Father. He's advocating for you. He is your advocate. He adds fire, if you will, to your prayer. He intensifies your prayer, even with groaning. I think some of you, have, like me, have lived enough life to know that sometimes the the pain comes from such a deep place within you, or the wound is, is so deep. That you almost can't pray you don't know hardly how to even uh process what's the pain that's that's inside the wounding that's inside and so you can't even get the words out or your your pain is is so earth-shattering that all you can do is to groan oh god oh oh god or to sigh but because we have such a great one who intercedes for us Jesus can take even the sigh. He can take even the groan that you give. And with the Holy Spirit himself, he makes intercession for uh, for us. He can take that and plead your case before the Father. Has anyone here ever been in trouble? Has anyone here ever been so burdened down that you didn't know how to pray? Am I talking to anybody here today? You couldn't even get the words out. You wanted to pray. But you were so brokenhearted that the the, the phrase wouldn't even come out of your mouth. Well, because we serve a risen Christ today, and and because he ever lives to make intercession for us, I'm here to tell you that even if you you whisper a prayer, sometimes I've whispered a prayer it's been a one-word prayer. It might just be the name of Jesus. It might be the word, help, oh God, help. Oh God, give grace. Give grace, it's a simple prayer. It might be a whisper. I'm gonna go so far as to say it might even be a feeling within you. And he's able to take that to the Father and turn that into a prayer for you. Church, you have a wonderful intercessor today who is alive within you. What promise, what rich promise we have from the word, the Gospel of John chapter 11. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Oh, what great promise, what rich promise we have because of this resurrection day. John 14, let not your heart be troubled. Let not your heart be troubled. I can't tell you how many prayers I start with quoting that verse. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And then Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, What? So can you say it with me? Is the verse up there? I am. I know you know that by heart, but I want you to say it again. Let's say it together. I am the way. No one comes to except Aren't you reminded through that that He is the great I am? He is the great I am. I just remind you on this day, he said, I am the door of the sheepfold. He promised, he said, I am the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. He promised, I am the bread of life. I am the water of life. I am the light of the world. I am the resurrection and the life. Bethesda, everything we have need of in this life. Jesus says, I am. Say it again, I Again. I am. Now put your hands together and bless him for his promise for us today. I am, I am, because I'm alive forevermore, I am. Every believer in this house ought to be able to walk from this place knowing that because Jesus got up out of the grave, because he's risen, you can have peace. There is now therefore no condemnation, Romans, Paul tells us in the book of Romans, to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. We are no longer aliens and strangers shut out from the covenants of promise because the middle wall, Ephesians says, of of separation has been broken down. He is our peace. The great I am is our peace who has broken down every wall. Now everyone can go to God for himself. In the midst of your problems, you can have peace because he's risen. In the midst of your sorrow, you can have peace. You can come to church and lift your hands in the middle of, midst of sorrow. I've done it many, many times. Many of you have as well. You don't have to have everything all together to come and worship Jesus. You don't have to have all of your problems worked out. You don't have to have every pain gone from your body to come and lift your hands and lift your voice and bless him. When everything around you is falling apart... it it does not disturb that which is taking place inside of you because you have peace. I'm glad God's peace is available to every believer, no matter their age or the specifics about them. But I can tell you this, that if you keep living and if you keep trusting Jesus, the more miles you get on you, the deeper the peace. Am I telling the truth this morning? That the deeper the peace that is available to you, the more miles you get on you, the greater your testimony. I tell you what I have people say, and I've said it, I'm sure myself. Don't get old. It's not all it's cracked up to be, right? There's a few things that go along with age that, aren't, that are maybe slightly less than, than pleasant. But let me tell you one thing that does happen. The older you get, the more you'll find out that his peace has depth you've never known before. That's my testimony, and I know that's the testimony of many of you, but here's the reality. You, you know why that happens? I'm just, let me just break it down in plain English for you. You just have to go through some stuff in life to learn the depth and the value of the peace of God that passes understanding. It might just be a verse that you quote as a child, the peace that passes all understanding. But once you've had some miles on you and you've walked through some stuff of life and you've had to face uh, some dark nights that you weren't sure were were ever going to end, then all of a sudden you realize, oh, there is a peace that is available, that peace that passes all understanding. Is anybody a witness to that today? I can't help but think it was just a few days ago that, I made a hospital visit to a dear Saint of God who's been a faithful member of this church for a very, very long time. She was actually here, she and her husband, before Becky and I got here. So it was about the time of Moses when she started attending. (laughs) Oh, she's not that old. I'm talking about a lady named Margaret Endicott. Went to see her in the hospital and it was just uh, right before Christmas that I conducted the funeral of her beloved husband, Don Endicott. Who for many years served as the head of our finance committee back in the 70s and the 80s and i think into the 90s so margaret is alone now Uh, her husband's gone her siblings are gone she's facing some physical challenges that come with years that's why i was visiting her in the hospital this is probably not the way she would have designed her life to be at this point of her journey but we had a fabulous talk Uh, I had to apologize to her. I stayed way too long because we just got wrapped up in conversation. We reminisced over the early days of Bethesda, our early days of Bethesda and talking about Pastor Des and all the people through the years and the many situations, and we had so much in common, it was easy to conversation was very easy and, and really precious. So it came time for me to leave, and I, I prayed with her. In fact, she, she teased me and I said, Margaret, I really need to get to the office. And I must have looked sleepy because she said, are you going to be able to stay awake long enough to get there? And I said, I'll try. You pray for me that I do. But I gathered my belongings to leave and, uh, and I was headed out the door And with great intentionality. She said, Pastor Dan, I, I just want to say there's something I want to say to you. There's one more thing I, I want to say. I said, Okay. And here she communicated it like this. She said, even in uh, these days since Don, her husband, since my husband's death, and even in these days of being in the hospital and the physical things that I'm I'm facing, I've had something happen to me. Now, Margaret's not uh, a person who exaggerates at all. I've never known her to. She's very, very pragmatic type person. So when she said, I'm experiencing something, I've I've had something happen uh, in the midst of all this, and she was so intentional about telling it to me, and she said, I just... All I can tell you is even in the midst of all that stuff, there has been this, and she put her hands up like this, there's been this peace that has just settled in over me. I feel this peace that is covering my my soul in a way that I've never experienced it before. And she said, and here's the way she said it, she said it's like, she did her hands like this, she goes, it's like, come what may, whatever it is, I have peace, And it reminded me, you old timers, of the song, There's a deep, settled peace in my soul. There's a deep, settled peace in my soul that the billows of sin near me roll. He abides, Christ abides. And I gotta tell you, I walked out of that room more blessed than she was by me being there, which is often the case, if not always. As I left, I had to brush away the tears because I thought, what an experience to look at a saint of God who has been faithful to the Lord Jesus, been faithful to his church for so many years and have her walk through all of where she is in her life journey to come to this point of her journey and say at this point God has given me a measure of peace that come what may. I have a deep peace in my soul. And then I was very very touched. I was trying to exit cuz I was I was didn't want her to see me crying actually. And then she said I got and she added one more thing as I was trying to get out the door she said and it never leaves me pastor Dan it never leaves me when i wake up in the morning it's there and all through the day it's there and even in the night no matter how dark the night that peace is there and it just reminded me as we come to this day do you know why margaret has that peace it's because jesus is alive and he lives within her it's because he got up out of that grave that she has peace and he is saying to margaret today that because he's alive let not your heart be troubled you believe in god believe also in me is anyone thankful for the peace of god today yeah you got to walk through some stuff i'd love to promise all of you younger folks that life is a cakewalk and everything's easy and it's always going to go just like you want but I think the rest of us in the room can tell you it's not, it doesn't work like that. There's some serious life journey stuff to be faced, too, but it, that's, that is there for you to really understand the depths of God's peace. Every pastor that I know, is always looking within the people that they pastor for spiritual maturity and the signs of spiritual maturity. And one of the strongest points of maturity in the life of any believer is when they come to the place where they can have peace on the inside when there's nothing but turmoil on the outside. Peace is on the inside. Doesn't mean you're oblivious to what's going on. Doesn't mean you're not having to fight the battle. Doesn't mean that you're not having to, to give yourself and it's, that, that, that it's difficult to, uh, to deal with. But even in the midst of all the stuff that's going on outside, inside, because Jesus is alive today, there is a peace. Hallelujah to the Lamb of God forever. Let me take this one step further. There's a word often used in counseling sessions, and I've used it myself, but I have been challenged by it recently when I consider this idea of what I'm calling resurrection peace. I'm even challenged by my own use of this word, and the word is closure, closure. I have become increasingly uncomfortable with this word when I hear people say, I just want closure. I just need closure. Now, this probably means different things to different people. It might not mean the same thing to you that it means to me, Uh, but I just, I gotta tell you, and I base this on years of walking with the Lord, there are just some wounds for which you will never have closure. That's the truth. I would love to tell you differently, but when you lose a mother, when you lose a spouse, when you lose a child, when you lose a, a, a sibling, there are just some things that, that closure never seems to be there. It's because every time you think about it, it's painful. Every time you think about it. God's, God's grace can be applied to you in that process, but this thing of closure, depending upon how you define it. And then it, what makes it worse is people come up and they almost oh, rip the scab off the wound, with, even though they have the best of intentions, but they start talking to you about moving on or getting over it. But I just wanna say this to you today, if you're a person who's struggling with this thing of, of, of closure, let me just tell you this, their story is not your story. And they don't really understand what's going on inside of you. And by the way, there's, no, uh, there, there's more than one way to grieve. Not everybody grieves the same way. And you have to give space and grace for people to grieve as God gives them the grace to do that. So when people come and try to talk to you that way, you just have to smile and let them talk and say whatever it is they're going to say and, and pray that they don't try to heap some measure of guilt upon you. Uh, they certainly should not do that. But here's what I want to say to you. Just because you might be struggling with this thing called closure, that does not mean that you're unspiritual. That does not mean that you're lacking in faith. It does not mean that you're lacking in courage. It just means that there are some experiences in life for which you just can't get closure and you happen to find one of them. The reason some people struggle with that word closure is because it implies that you're supposed to bring finality to something that is simply never going to be final in your heart. And so here's my word to you today. You don't need closure. You need God's peace. Closure will never provide everything that you, that you think is going to provide for you. What you need is the peace of God to walk through. You need that peace that passes all understanding that no matter what's going on externally, it is not affecting that which is going on internally. And that only happens by the power of the Holy Spirit. Am I right about that? When you have that deep, settled peace in your soul, you may not have closure, but you can still come and give God praise, come what may, because you have a reason to give God praise. Because He's the one who's told you, "Don't fear. No need to be fear no, to, for you to fear. No need for you to be afraid or affrighted." For lo, I am with you always, even to the ends of the earth. And when you know God at that level, then you know what it is to have Him hold your hand through a difficult trial. The risen Savior takes on an entirely new meaning for you when he helps walk you through the the darkest of your night. You know what it is for him to lend his shoulder for you to lean on. And that's when you lift your voice and you sing, what a fellowship, what a joy divine, leaning on the everlasting arms. What a blessedness, what a peace is mine, leaning on the everlasting arms. In this same sentence of verse 6 of chapter 6 of our text in Mark, a, there is another word that the angel said to the woman. Mark 16, chapter, uh, verse 6. But he said to them, do not be alarmed, because I know who you're looking for. You seek Jesus. You're looking for Jesus who was crucified. He was crucified. It's absolutely real. It's absolutely true. Now, you're intently searching for Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. And probably your Bible follows with, but he is risen. But the Greek manuscript, the original Greek, actually says, he was raised. There is a difference between he is risen and he was raised. He is risen could almost imply that he did it himself. But when it says he was raised, that's a reminder that only God could have done that. Only God could have done that. Only the Gospel of Mark records the conversation of these three women on their way to the empty tomb. When they're on their way and they're wanting to know who's gonna roll the stone away. It's heavy, scripture says, it's large. You read it earlier. And their concern is is who will work to move the stone? But I'm gonna tell you this morning that the resurrection doesn't need a worker. What the resurrection needs is a witness, not a worker. And when they get there, They discover, obviously, that the stone was already rolled away. Not for them to have to work, but for them to be a witness. Because when God does the work, all you have to do is be the witness. Sometimes we think we have to get in and do the work. We think we've got to get in, make it all happen. No, let God do the work. You just be a witness to the goodness of God. Just be a witness to what God has done. Your salvation is not about your work. God did the work. Amen. You just need to be a witness to what he's done. There is no work that you can do that is enough for God to save you because Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. What can wash away my sin? What can make me whole again? (laughs) Folks, you can't earn it. You can't merit it. You can't work for it. He simply died in your place. Christ was crucified. Christ was raised. Only God could have done that. Only God could have planned such a perfect plan of salvation.